congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, for some Christians, making sense of what they read in the Bible can at times be difficult. There are certain things in the Bible that, if you think about them, are somewhat confusing. From the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it seems to be so crystal clear that the Lord promises blessing upon his people if they walk in his ways. He also promises hardship and suffering if they would not walk in his ways. And although the New Test in the New Testament, the emphasis of earthly blessings upon serving the Lord has somewhat shifted to the spiritual blessings, we, the New Testament believers, still rightly perceive prosperity and peace and good health and so to be a blessing of the Lord, for which we must be thankful. So it all seems quite straightforward. Blessing upon fearing and serving the Lord and adversity upon disregarding the Lord and serving yourselves. And then you read through your Bible and we see God fearing Job sitting on an ass heap. We hear the Lord's people groaning because of the bitter slavery in Egypt, while ungodly Pharaoh sits exalted upon his throne. We read about the evil king Ahab triumphing over the righteous Naboth. And then you read about the Lord's own prophets being mistreated and killed, priests being murdered, Jeremiah in a slimy pit, Daniel in a lion's den, John the Baptist in jail and being beheaded. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus promised his disciples that they would sit on 12 thrones, ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. And that to him was given all power and authority in heaven and earth, and that he would be with them until the end of the age. But most disciples died a violent death. While at the same time the Roman Empire flourished, and the godless Jewish Sanhedrin seemed to operate unpunished. That was then in the Bible. Could be confusing people. Also, in our time, countries where Christians are persecuted for the faith outnumber by far the countries like ours where Christians still have freedom to worship. <coughs> and even in countries like ours, we, the Lord's people, receive increasingly more opposition and the unspoken message to us has become, we will tolerate you, but be quiet. It's becoming more and more, your time is over, so be quiet. Well, all this, as we saw then, is not new. It has been going on ever since man fell into sin. And so there have been all throughout the centuries believers, God's people, 
asking questions like, where is the Lord in all this? They're confused. And then, like Asaph in Psalm 73, their feet almost slipped when they saw the prosperity of the wicked. They struggled with the question, did I in vain keep my heart pure? Have I in vain washed my hands in innocence? Well, in Psalm 73, it is Asaph who struggles with such questions until... <coughs> until he entered the sanctuary of God, he writes. And there he saw the end of the wicked. There he saw God's bigger picture, so to speak. And then he understood. And his envy and his arrogance and bitterness turned into humbleness. In our text of this morning, our Lord Jesus allows us to enter into his sanctuary, so to speak, and to see his bigger picture. But there is a difference. Esau was allowed to enter in God's sanctuary to be humbled, but also, and also to be comforted and assured. In our text, however, the Lord Jesus allows his hearers, his covenant people, us, this morning, to enter into his sanctuary as a warning, as a very serious warning. In the beginning of our chapter, the Lord tells us this parable of the dishonest manager. That is how it is titled in our translation. And the point that the Lord is making in this parable is that we must use our earthly wealth and position to increase, to the increase of his kingdom. And not to use it as that manager had done for his own pleasure and his own advantage. That's like stealing from the owner of all things. And the end conclusion of the Lord's application of this parable is as we read in verse 11. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth... Who will trust you with true riches? And finally, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and serve yourself. <coughs> and then we read in verse 14 that the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And then the Lord Jesus answers their ridicule by telling them the parable which is our passage of this morning. And so you could say that this parable is a sequence, a follow-up to the first parable. And the Lord begins this parable in the same way as the first one of our chapter. He says, there was a rich man that was a rich man. Well, now this rich man's riches was something to behold. We know what from, the Lord, from what the Lord Jesus tells us that he was dressed in purple and fine linen. Now, work, wearing purple was truly a very expensive way of dressing yourself. 
At that time, a pound of purple dye was worth three pounds of gold. So he was dressed in purple, in fine linen, and fine linen was soft and comfortable and not cheap either. And another thing that the Lord tells us about this rich man that is that he feasted sumptuously, extravagantly, every day. <coughs> Excuse me. His only purpose in life was satisfying his own lust and his own pleasure. His house was very fancy too. And that we know because the word translated gate in verse 20 is a Greek word that was used to describe the entrance to a palace. Well, there at the gate of his palace-like mansion of that very rich man was laid a poor man. He was laid there. He was in such a bad shape that he had not been able to get there by himself. In this parable, the Lord Jesus gave this poor man the name Lazarus, and the Lord gave him that name on purpose because Lazarus means God is my help. And so he describes this poor man as a man who in spite of his wretched circumstances believed and trusted in God. Now we also know about Lazarus, he was covered with sores, probably for lack of good nourishment. He was very weak, for as you read, someone had probably as a last effort to save him, laid him on the rich man's gate. He was starving from hunger. And so he desired, he craved to eat from what fell of the rich man's table. He just was so hungry, he craved to eat waste. And the way that that Greek sentence is formulated indicates that he kept on craving for it, which means that nobody, nobody gave it to him. His only companions were the dogs. They come to lick his sores. And in those few words, the Lord paints a picture who you could say were a world or a lifetime apart. Not only in earthly goods, but also in spiritual goods. The one was blessed with abundant riches and lived purely for his own pleasure. The other one was dirt poor, dying of illness and starvation. Lazarus, God is my help. Both were sons of Abraham. In verse 25, Abraham calls the rich man child. This means that both of them belong to the Lord's covenant people. This is what they had in common. They both died. They had that in common too. But that's done where all commonality ends. Lazarus was carried by the angels unto Abraham's side. The rich man died, was buried, wakes up in hell, suffering terrible torment, agony. And then in hell, that rich man looks up and sees in a great distance 
Abraham with Lazarus at his side. Now, it's here at this point that I like to digress for a, for a moment. Why? Because based upon this part of this parable, there have been and there still are all sorts of speculations and questions like, if it would be possible to look from hell into heaven and vice versa, or even to communicate back and forward? And the answer is, of course not. The former thing will not be remembered, we read in the Bible. God will make all things new. Based upon this parable, people also speculate that we will recognize people either in heaven or in hell. Well, regardless if they do or don't, we should not use this parable as proof for such speculation. Not even as an, as a, as use this parable to start a discussion about it. We should just not forget that the Lord Jesus is not giving an explanation here of how it will be hereafter, but that in this parable he is teaching something much more important for living our life in the here and the now. So, that was the digression. Let's now go back to the Lord's teaching. The rich man in hell is suffering horribly. And so, he cries out after Father Abraham. If he could please send Lazarus over with some water to receive, to relieve the, uh, the agony that he is suffering in, 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 in hell, in this flame, in the fire... And the answer the Lord puts in Abraham's mouth is very significant. He says, child, remember that you, in your lifetime, received your good things. But Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. You received your good things. The, the rich man is reminded by Abraham that during his life, he considered all the good things that he had received as his. What he had received were his good things. He had considered everything he had received to be his and to use for his own pleasure. It was his right. Everyone for himself. He did not want to be bothered by the nuisance of the homeless. They should just find themselves a job. And they can go in a shelter if it gets cold. Go to the Salvation Army for that part. Not a thought. He had given to Lazarus starving there on his gate. Oh yes, he knew about Lazarus. Lazarus' suffering is part of what Abraham tells him to remember. Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, remember? But Lazarus' suffering had not at all moved the rich man to send him even the table scraps. And you wonder, brothers and sisters, how could a person, no, how could a child of Abraham, a member of the Lord's covenant people, a church member, so to speak, be so callous 
in spite of the fact that the Lord in his law in Deuteronomy 15 over and over taught that the poor must be taken care of, that one had to love his neighbor as himself. It's a good question. How is that possible? God's people can be like that. Well, maybe in that time it was about the prevailing teaching of the Pharisees of that day, who taught that sickness and poverty were special punishment of the Lord for certain sins that were committed. Or maybe that rich man had decided that Lazarus' family should do their portion first. Or maybe he just figured that Lazarus was a lost cause anyway. Why should he squander some of his good money on that beggar, on that loser? And keep on pouring more money in that Lazarus, but it is never enough. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is here not only addressing the Pharisees who loved money, but all those who were in his hearing that day. The love of money is a disease that we all carry around. It may lay dormant at times, but it's never gone. And the Lord is here very much pointing to our personal handling of the blessings that he has given us at our personal attitude towards the poor at our being merciful to those who suffer. And so we must watch that we do not push this lesson of the Lord too far away from us. And it, it may well be true that we are all faithfully giving um, some money to the church, to the deacons also, to take care of those who are in need among us and even to some to some, some other people. But that's what the Pharisees did too. The Lord Jesus recognized that in that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. There he lets the Pharisee pray that he gave one-tenth, ten percent of all that he got. But that's not what the Lord is after in this parable of this morning. What the Lord is after is that we do not consider the money or any of our goods that we have received as our own. To do it as we please. But that we, yes, use it for supporting ourselves and our families and the church. But that we also must use it to show personally our compassion to those in need. To show personally the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ to those who are outside of our gates, so to speak. We need to check our gates every day. See who or what is laying there. Now, 
someone might object and say that our giving should be limited to our brothers and sisters in Christ. But even if that would be true, and it's not, then do we know exactly who they all are? The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 50, that his brothers and sisters and, and mother are all those who do the will of his father. Do you know who they all are? What do we know about a man or a woman who might approach us for a few dollars in the parking lot of Walmart or so? Do we know what they believe? Do we know to who they belong? What do we know about that mother who at the cashier needs to put some of what she had in the card back because the debit card fails? Or, or should we just assume that they are not the Lord's people? Like the rich man did in the parable, perhaps. The Lord puts someone in need on your path. And that's important. Yes, it is true. Sometimes we are warned that some of the people that beg for money use that money to buy for themselves alcohol and drugs and that we do not really help them by giving them that. We give them some dollars to buy some food. Well, that's then something for which they will give account. But our Lord Jesus Christ taught us Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And how far would each one of us come without his mercy? The rich man in hell did not receive mercy, for he had not shown mercy. The Bible teaches us that to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offering and sacrifices. And that the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord Jesus himself taught us, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And the Lord Jesus truly wants you to portray him as, as, the, as being merciful. And the only way to do this is by being merciful. And, and here the Lord Jesus is speaking about our enemies so what about people you don't know but seem to be in need? And, and I know we, in our time we pay a lot of things with our debit and credit card and we send e-transfers and so on. But is it such a bad idea for Christian people to have a little bit of cash on you too just to be able to be merciful? 
if the Lord set that opportunity before you. Merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. The rich man in our parable in hell did not think of using the blessings he had received for showing God's kindness to the poor. He was just only concerned about himself. And so there he is from hell. He continues to beg Father Abraham to send Lazarus to him with a few drops of water. But the rabbit, that's impossible because of that great chasm between heaven and hell. So now this rich man and Lazarus are really more than a lifetime apart. How important is it to show mercy? Well, the rich man does not give up yet. And now he asks Father Abraham to send Lazarus to his father's house to one of his five brothers. But the answer the Lord Jesus puts in Abraham's mouth is short. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Moses and the prophets are in that time the scriptures. The written word of God. But then the rich man remembers that he, during his lifetime, had the scriptures too. And so he makes the argument that the scriptures might not be enough. But if his brothers would be warned by someone returning from the dead, then they would certainly listen. It's a veiled accusation that just the scriptures are not enough should not escape us here. The rich man is indirectly saying that if he would have had more than the scriptures, if he would have, have had some direct message of, of God, then he would deal different, would have dealt different with Lazarus. John Calvin rightly remarked that the largest part of humanity is not satisfied with only the word of God, but always desire a new revelation. And that is, and that is the common attitude among men, he said. He said, everyone wants a dream and or desires a special verse or a verse bound upon his conscience by the Holy Spirit. And the next one wants to hear a voice from heaven, a clear sign. A clear sign. That is what so many, also of the Lord's people, desire. A clear sign that the Lord really meant to place did or this or that needy person upon one's life path. A special certainty that we show mercy and give to the right person. Now, Father Abraham, Crispy put an end to all this. When he answers the rich man, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they don't listen to the scriptures, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. Truth of this was shown so clearly in the future. When Jesus raised the man by the name of Lazarus from the dead, it did not cause the Pharisees to believe in the Lord Jesus. And to change their ways. To the contrary, when they saw that many people came to Jesus because of Lazarus' resurrection, they just decided to put Lazarus to death as well. 
they loved money, their own conscience, their own gratification, their own convenience and their own gratification, they loved it more than being merciful. And I'm going to say it again, it's so important to be merciful. It puts people more than a lifetime apart at one time. So, brothers and sisters, the Lord did not teach this parable to the Pharisees because he was angry with them. Because he loved them. They too were his covenant people and he really wanted them to repent. The disciples heard this parable too and also to them it was a serious and much needed warning which Judas did not heed. And this morning the Lord teaches this parable to us. Why? Because he loves us. He does. That's why that word comes through you. He knows that the love of money is a real dangerous trap for all of his people. He knows also that his people are inclined to hang on to the money and to are very quick to find good excuses for not being merciful in the way he teaches it. He knows that they are quick to find a way to show mercy in ways that are more convenient than the Lord teaches it. But the Lord said that we must be merciful as our heavenly Father is merciful and he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Our Lord Jesus gave us the ultimate example of this when he died for us while we were still enemies. When he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And thinking about this, would we then not, out of sheer thankfulness, follow his example and show mercy when and wherever the Lord gives us opportunity? The Lord in his mercy to us sets the poor before us and so gives us the opportunity to turn our earthly blessing into heavenly treasure. From the parable, we learn that for showing mercy, we only have the time that we live. For either receiving or not receiving mercy, eternity waits. The chasm between us and those to whom we show, must show mercy is for us to close now while we live. In eternity, that chasm will be forever unbridgeable. It is now and tomorrow and as long as we are able to time to show mercy. The Lord loves us and therefore he told us this. So let's listen to him. Amen.